uh, as one uh, significant piece of sad news, Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel warned uh, Congress that ISIS, you know, you may have heard of them, the Islamic State in Syria and Iraq, pose a significant threat to our, our homeland. Uh, and Vladimir Putin is on the march as he continues to be in, in the Ukraine. And so all of this is just adding to uh, the global uh, tensions. But war, wherever it may be, reminds us that the world is, is a dangerous place. And it's sort of visible warfare that we see. But what we're going to be taking up today is the fact that there's invisible warfare. Now, what I'd like to do then is uh, open us in a word of prayer as we look at uh, God's word. Father, we praise and thank you again for this time, dear Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the teachings in Ephesians, uh, Father, that helps us come into a closer understanding of this invisible warfare. We pray that all that's offered today, Lord, is a blessing to the body of Christ, Father, is an and is honoring to you. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen. So again, war isn't new. It's in the Bible. It goes back to Cain and Abel, right? The first couple of brothers uh, that, uh, that fought. One was killed, of course. But as we sort of scroll forward in the New Testament, and then we, we come to Ephesians, uh, Paul reflects on warfare. It's now fully matured. Men are very good at it and uh, can kill thousands at a time. And, um, and so it was raging at that time, of course. But Paul speaks of the dark forces or the demonic forces. Um, Ephesians captures the victories of God as we kind of look at the, the whole uh, letter. Um, and those victories, of course, are in Christ. But he also uh, speaks of some of the challenges uh, that the church faces. Now, as we sort of um, sketch that out in Ephesians, pay attention to some of the lessons that we've been learning these, these many months as uh, we've been uh, looking at this uh, very good letter. And again, by way of a very quick review. In chapter 1, Paul reveals spiritual blessings, right? Uh, and he sees Christ as the hub of all history. Um, he speaks of the authority of Christ, over all things. Chapter 2, Christ is in you, and by grace you're saved, right? But it's not that of your own. It's a gift of God. And you were saved for what? For good works. Uh, you're made new, and you're a citizen of the kingdom, and you possess God's own spirit. What, what good news, right? Chapter 3, Paul reveals a mystery, a mystery that he was given to reveal to, to the Gentiles and to the heavenly realms. And that is that the Gentiles are welcomed citizens into this, uh, into this kingdom. Chapter 4. So now you're a citizen. Now what? Well, the citizen is called to right living. Right? And he spends a good deal of time talking about uh, 
putting on the new way and putting off the old way. The old way is to be abandoned. Things like anger and bitterness uh, are to be put off. And things like love and compassion are to be put on. Then chapters 5 and 6 become much more specific. He comes right down to the very occupants of the church. Uh, He speaks of the wives and the husbands. He speaks of the children and their parents. He talks about even slaves and masters. And he says, well, how then should you behave? And he, he gives them, he gives various prescriptions. Then we finally get to this armor of God business. Uh, But the spiritual conflict takes its toll. That's why he's talking about these individuals in the church. Uh, The fighting between wives and husbands uh, is part of uh, this invisible warfare. The anger, the bitterness, the citizens are under attack. There's a kind of siege in progress. And so how will we live this right life? This is of great concern to the heart of Paul. How can we overcome the spiritual forces that aggravate, if not cause, this dissension? And, and again, this brings us to the final, uh, final point. Spiritual warfare is then to be fought with an assortment of spiritual armament. And that is what Paul uh, really wants us to focus in on. He says this, here is what you must do. Uh, So let's read chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. It's 979, page 979 in your pew Bible, if you care to look at that. I'm going to read chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. Again, by way of a little uh, quick review. Finally, be strong in the Lord, Paul writes, in the strength of his might or his mighty power. Uh, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. So he begins with a command. It's something you're to do. And again, in light of this invisible warfare, isn't it good that somebody's telling us some things to do, right? Be strong in the Lord, he says, and his his power, his mighty power. Now, the word itself, power, comes up earlier in Ephesians. In chapter 1, it turns out verse 20. This power... Uh, I'd like to suggest to you, is not something we understand. It's really quite unimaginable. Uh, Now, out there today, uh, it's very common to come across people that just deny the Bible, right? They, They just don't believe it. Okay. And so what they say, it's not that the Bible is all false. Oh, some of it, in fact, is, is true. Uh, maybe Jesus uh, was sort of morally wounded on the cross, and, and then he was put away in the grave. But then somehow he recovered and came back. These are the kinds of uh, explanations that people try to, uh, to give to account for Uh, the testimony that's laid out in Scripture regarding uh, the execution of Christ. Well, of course, this is not at all a biblical teaching. 
We don't see this in the Bible at all. Any reading of the Bible makes it quite plain that, uh, that Christ was, was executed. He was killed. And then he came back to life. But aside from that, it's a, uh, and, and I say this in, in the spirit of it uh, happening, happening to be true, but uh, it's an, a historically ignorant statement too. For this reason, um, Romans were very skilled at killing their victims. They, they were quite good at it. Now, this is one of those unpleasant things that we, we don't normally uh, chat about, but in fact, it's a very important point. They had specialists who were just involved with the execution of prisoners on the cross. They knew that if that guy was hanging in there a little too long, they would finally uh, do them in with a spear to the side that would penetrate their upper cavity uh, or break their legs or both. Um, the Romans knew what they were doing. No, uh, the point is Jesus did die on that cross. And, and he did come back. Um, so this power that's referred to here in the final chapter of Ephesians, uh, talking about the resurrection brought up uh, in the first chapter, is something we really don't understand. It's supernatural power. Um, now, when you reflect on just that word for a moment, and I, and I pray that you do that, uh, this is the power that will bring you personally back to life if you die in Christ. This is the power that will restore a loved one who died in Christ to life. This is the power that will ensure, as it says towards the end of the Bible, of course, that there will there will be a time where there will be no more death. There will be no more tears. Uh, and there will be no more war. This is the power we're, we're speaking about. And Paul brings us back to this uh, here in Ephesians. And one more thing. This is the power that gives us hope. That's, that's what this power is all about. It gives us confidence to endure the trials and the schemes of the devil. Now, the question ultimately comes back to us. Now, we don't need a big dissertation here in a way, but do you believe it? Uh, you know, uh, right now we're, we're over, my, our small church is over at Sullivan McKinney, the elder housing around the corner, and we're looking at the book of John. Do you know that word belief in the gospel of John comes up time and again? Well, it's true he spoke to Nicodemus, but Nicodemus didn't believe it. He spoke to the woman at the well, but woman at the well, do you believe it? He spoke to the people about various things, but do they believe it? Do the disciples, but the belief keeps coming up. So here we have the same thing about this supernatural power. Do you believe it? The strength that you have in the Lord is Proportional to your belief or your trust in him. Did you know that? It, it happens to be true. Um, will your strength allow you to accept the loss of a, a dear loved one? Will your strength uh, allow you to accept 
a problem in your marriage? Will it get you through? Will your strength allow you to forgive someone who's done you a terrible wrong? What will your strength allow? It's a very significant uh, question. And this word of power, supernatural power, plays no small uh, part in that. Now, I'd like to suggest whatever this armor might be, it's useless unless you put it on. This is, this is a very important point. Uh, in verse 11, it says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Paul commands us to put on that armor. So don't you first have to believe that armor is going to do something for you before you just go and put it on. Belief is, is the cornerstone of this. So if you're strong in the Lord, you will put it on because you know a supernatural foe can only be defeated with supernatural weapons and supernatural armament. Now, the supernatural foe, the devil, is taken together in the next verse with the rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. The mention of rulers, authorities, and powers uh, in the heavenly realm refers to this collective assembly of captains and majors and generals uh, in the devil's army. That, that's really what it's talking about. And they're, of course, demons. So the armor of God is to be worn in this struggle against these forces so that the, the Christian can stand and, and not be moved. He could stand his ground or position. And this concept of standing, of course, is military itself. Uh, it's that when you're given an order to stay there and hold your ground, that's exactly exactly what you're to do. And Paul repeatedly talks about holding your ground. Now, collectively then, this invisible realm is organized around a hierarchy, is it not? That's, that's what this business of, uh, is about as we look at these spiritual forces that are, are sort of singled out here, rulers and authorities and so forth. Now, I'd like to suggest that... Uh, if it is organized around this, if it is a dark army, remember this too uh, in carrying this uh, sort of metaphor that Paul is using here. Uh, armies don't do things by accident, do they? They get deployed into an area. Now, the other day, it turns out I was uh, watching some of the History Channel. We have any History Channel buffs here? It's, uh, it's very good. They were doing a little piece on uh, General Sherman during the Civil War. And it turns out Sherman had fallen out of favor uh, with uh, the federal forces. Uh, it's not that he was dismissed or anything, but he fell out of favor. And so he wasn't properly uh, populating his line of soldiers for whatever reason. The southern forces knew this, and they began probing for weaknesses in the, in the uh, lines of, of the federal forces. 
When they found those weaknesses, they exploited it, and they went right through the lines. And this, of course, threw the soldiers and the general and the majors and the captains into all kinds of confusion. This was not good. Now, that, that's sort of a picture to keep in mind. What does it mean, church, for us personally? I'd like to suggest this, and, and in fact, it kind of comes out of Ephesians as we study it. Gossip can be a weakness in the church. Uh, immoral behavior can be a weakness in the church. Slander can be a weakness in the church. Anger could be a weakness in the church. And make no mistake about it, these dark forces are deployed right into that. So that how, what's it say here? The devil gets a foothold and he'll exploit it and leverage it and he'll leave a church robbed of its power to do the Lord's work. This is uh, what the enemy does. It looks for advantage and so is constantly seeking. So what's the practical thing we should do? Well, Paul is saying, if there's gossip, stop it, right? If there's immoral behavior, end it. If there's slander, apologize. That, that's what Paul would have you do. Don't give the enemy advantage. If he, if he uh, cannot exploit a weakness, uh, then he's got no advantage. So don't give him the opportunity with those weaknesses. Now, it's crystal clear then that a military scene is being presented, of course. Uh, he speaks of opposing powers, uh, standing your ground, and of course, unmistakably, this armor of God. His overall purpose is to imagine a Christian as a soldier on a field of conflict against uh, a foe, and of course, that's the devil. Now, the imagery he had in mind was clearly uh, Roman um, and Roman military. What do we know about the Romans? Now, if, uh, if the slide comes up, perhaps I can look around here. Uh, this is, according to historians, what it might have looked like on a Roman uh, battlefield. Uh, just to point out a couple of things, it's quite possible those were the Greeks on the left-hand, lower left-hand side, and they have a number of, of poles or spikes and what have you. And, uh, and then, of course, the Romans are on the right, deployed in the field, and there are many legions and under these banners. You'll notice that the soldier himself uh, has a red shield and various other, other uh, garb that they're, they're wearing. This is mi Roman military uh, wear, first century. So in this uh, first slide, we see uh, all of the various things that might have been happening in a typical battle. Now, Paul really isn't concerned with all of this, this stuff going on on the battle. He is concerned about the individual soldier and the individual soldier's readiness. That, that's really what he focuses on. And that's in the next, uh, the next slide. Now, we will be focusing in on all of these various uh, items 
and were we able to uh, bring up the belt of truth, the one we're going to be talking about today. Of course, that doesn't come up on the slide, but that's what we'll be uh, focusing in on today. But you'll notice that in the Roman uh, sort of a battle wear, there's a helmet, and that's called the helmet of salvation. There's a, a breastplate. Uh, at least one uh, historian says that that breastplate could have... Uh, could have weighed 40 pounds. That, that's quite a load to be carrying around. There's a shield of faith. Uh, the shield was meant to be a defensive armament. There's the sword called the gladius. This was for uh, up close and personal contact and fighting. And then the gospel of peace, which has to do with the readiness to uh, bring forth the gospel. So all of these things uh, Paul brings up. Now, he imports or reinterprets the Roman outfit, uh, armor, if you like, as spiritual armor. Now, some details about the Roman battle gear uh, are as follows. All of the items mentioned were worn by uh, the soldier. Now, you might say, oh, well, that's an unnecessary detail to discuss. It isn't. Uh, they called the outfit the panoply. Uh, the Roman soldier had to wear, if we could just go back to that slide, he had to wear this stuff. He wasn't allowed to fight without it. And all of the sub-commanders would make sure he had on the helmet, he had on his breastplate, he had on the belt, uh, which is center positioned. It was tightly fast fastened. He had his sword, of course, and the shield, and, and so forth. This was standard wear. I'd say this happens in present-day military uh, practices as well. So the soldier was protected from head to toe. He had defensive and offensive armament. Now, the first thing, uh, however, a Roman is outfitted with, uh, after he puts on his tunic, is the belt, is the belt. Now, the belt is first mentioned uh, in the, the following verse, and uh, it would be verse 14, if you wish to sort of skip down there. Stand therefore, he says, having fastened on the belt of truth. So the belt, then, is uh, what the soldier puts on, and the soldier before battle would have tied it tightly he would have snugged it in. It's not something to be loose-fitting. Only when they go off-duty do they have it a little bit loose-fitting. The idea is that they were ready for the combat that, that was to follow. Now, Paul wasn't, of course, trying to give the impression that you were ever off-duty. You were always on duty. And that, that belt should have been snugly fastened. Now, the belt of truth is referring, is referring to Christ, but we're going to open this up a little bit more. I believe he's actually said uh, this, uh, something about Christ in so many words earlier in his career. Something like 12 years before, he writes the letter to the Galatians. And he writes as follows in chapter 3, verse 27. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Put on Christ. He says the same kind of thing in Romans. 
Now, wearing Christ, then, is a picture he used many times before, long before he talked about uh, wearing the belt. So what's happened? Well, putting on Christ for Paul, who is now the seasoned soldier. Remember, he's been in the field for 10 years, right? Paul has faced death threats. Paul has been stoned. He's been rejected by his people. Do you think he sees the world as just sort of a casual civilian sort of sort of thing. He doesn't at all. He sees a battlefield and therefore he resorts to some military imagery. So what, have, what might have been a sort of civilian garment, oh you, you put this on or you put that on, years before now is a soldier's belt. Putting on this belt of truth or putting on Christ who is truth is the very centerpiece of the attire the Christian warrior needs before he goes out into the world. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll put upon you a question. Jesus said what? I am the... Okay. The truth and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. Right. And of course, that's out of John chapter 14. But that business of the truth must have uh, resonated with Paul and the early disciples and, and the apostles. They saw Jesus as the bringer of truth itself. As I said, they saw Jesus as the very hub of history itself, the beginning and the end. And that's what Paul brings up in Ephesians. He is the truth. So the centerpiece of your attire, of your sort of daily wear, ought to be the person of Jesus himself. That's what he's trying to say. The belt of truth then gets, about, gets to your commitment or your devotion to Christ. There is no doubt that you're a convert in God's army. The question is, are you committed to it? Right? When a soldier goes out into uh, the battlefield, there's a sense that, of course not a sense, it's true, that he's already decided on whose side he's going to fight. Now that sounds a little silly, but he's already committed and he goes out into the, into the field to do what he needs to do. He settled that question about the side he'll fight on. Now, Paul is saying, as you prepare for the day's challenges, settle in your heart your commitment. That's the belt of truth, the very first thing you put on. And so practically, how will Christian husbands love their wives? How will Christian wives love their husbands? How will Christian children obey their parents? How will a Christian church be united? Now, you notice with each of those questions, I didn't say, well, how will a Christian uh, husband love his wife as though perhaps the wife might love the husband? That's not what I'm saying. 
or maybe you might take it in reverse. You're a Christian and you're to stand your ground in that marriage and be loving and do what it is you need to do. For wives, you're a Christian wife and maybe your, your husband is not. You're to stand your ground and love that person as best you can. It might not be reciprocal. There might be all kinds of trouble in reverse. Okay, there is probably, <laughs> going, that's going to be a, a little bit of a point of friction. Well, probably a big point of friction if, if there isn't that mutual belief. But the idea is stand your ground. And here's how you do it. You begin with dressing tomorrow morning as you wake up with that belt of truth, with your devotion to Christ. That's how you conquer the day's challenges and conquer the day's uh, issues that come before you. The belt of truth, it's not something you're to leave uh, home without. Now, as I sort of practically uh, thought about all this, uh, what became very clear was that, well, how then do we sort of become devoted? How, how do we do that in the morning? Now, I loved the opening set of, uh, of songs. Uh, I don't know, we haven't gone through some of those in some time, but strangely enough, or maybe not so strangely, most of those were songs that when I first came to faith, I heard them all the time, and it seemed like it was just one after another. So God blessed me, and Margie and the, the team blessed me today as I, as I heard all of that again. Devotion to God might, for you, be all about uh, a song. Hearing that in the morning, maybe you respond favorably to music, and that, that kind of gets you in the right mood for the day's challenges. Maybe a, a, a Bible devotional will do it. But the idea is to remember something about God. Maybe remember what God has done for you personally. Maybe even remember your salvation. Now, as I recalled, as I went through this, uh, this sermon, it brought to mind, at least in part, uh, my own salvation. Uh, when I thought about it and kind of went through it, I got a little teary-eyed because I remembered what God had done for me. I thought a little bit about these questions, and you might do the same. What were you like before Christ? You know, that sort of B.C. period, right? Uh, and what were you like after Christ? I'd say this. If you reflect on that, if, if you came to faith a little late in life as I did, uh, very dramatic differences. God had done quite a bit for me. Now, for me... This is going back some 18 years ago or 19 years ago. I was in an exhausted place. I sort of achieved a certain level of professional success. But as I looked at life in general, I said something is significantly missing. True, I wasn't married and a whole bunch of other things. And, and that, of course, might be a, a little bit of a cause for alarm. But I didn't see meaning in life. That, that's where I was at. I said, is this it? You just accumulate a bunch of things and then you die. That, that, that kind of thing. That's where I was at. Then, some 18, 19 years ago, 
uh, a neighbor shows up, and then another neighbor, and then another neighbor. I, I can only tell you this, it's they kept coming like waves. And these neighbors started showing up and they were saying, hey, hey you want to go to church with me? I wasn't, I wasn't hostile to that whole idea. And um, I went ahead and I said, okay, look, let, let me go to church if for no other reason to get these people off my back. And I thought, anyway, maybe I could meet a wife there. It kind of sounded like a good idea. Um, but anyway, when I heard that gospel message, I, I know I heard that before, but I never heard it before. You know what I'm saying? It hit a place in my heart. It struck my heart, and it changed everything. Uh, it seems that life itself was answered for me. And maybe that's true with what happened to you in your conversion. And it also seemed like, like uh, life sort of like slowed down for me as well uh, in those moments when I first came, came to Christ. Now, the pastor spoke about Jesus and, and such, and, and, uh, but then they ended up having the Lord's Supper. And they passed the elements around, and uh, I remember the elements came to me. I remember this clearly. And uh, he said, you know what? If you don't know the Lord, don't take those elements, because they're very special, is what he said. And, uh, and so they went, came to me, of course, all eyes fell on me, and I thought, well, is this guy going to you know, take it and pass it along? I didn't take those elements, and I let it go by, and I cried like a baby. I remember it very well. Whatever this stuff about Jesus was all about, something like he died for me, and I was separated from God, but he would take away those, those elements of separation, the sins, all of that stuff, it swirled in my head and there was no way I was going to take those elements. I wanted to make sure I was right with God before any of that would happen. So what ended up happening, again, uh, as these moments sort of slowed down, I went ahead and I spoke to the pastor afterwards and I, and I said, you know, pastor, this is where I'm at in my life. And he says, well, let me tell you about Christ. And, and I made right with God right there, right then. I couldn't let another moment go by. Life was answered. Because here's what I learned. And I know what, you, you know what maybe your view is. But I'll say this. What I learned was that life isn't about something. Life is about someone. That's what I was missing. And the someone was Christ. And when that dawned on me, it's like I was out of myself and discovered there was something so much more. Well, that was one reflection from that time. Now, after that, I couldn't put down the Bible. I had to learn more, and I'd show up at Bible studies, and I said, oh, so many stupid things. All right. But I said, for example, to a friend, Bill, and we're both Italian, all right, and so I said to a friend, uh, Bill, I said, Bill, I've been reading through the Bible here. And, uh, and I thought you said, Bill, that there, was no, there were no Italian authors in this Bible. And he says, of course there were no Italian authors. No, they're all Greek and Hebrew or Jewish or what have you. That's all that's there. And I said, 
Bill, you must be wrong. What I'm reading here is, is the book of Malachi, right? And, and, and he says, you idiot, that's not Malachi, that's Malachi, is what he said. Anyway, Bill continued to be my friend despite this myriad of questions and perhaps dumb suggestions that I so often offered. And the church grew around me. And I began to know this community of believers that loved me no matter what. Right? And I, I hope that's true for you. And, and, and I hope that no matter what, we could get beyond the disunity. This is what Paul is talking about in Ephesians of which I can sometimes be the cause of, right? Maybe you can too. We have to learn how to put on that belt of truth, uh, put on Christ, and all the other things will follow. In my own case, I came to faith some years so later, I then met my wife, Grace. So for me, I even got the girl in the end, right? What a blessing it, it's been. Anyway, you two might sort of have a similar story. I don't know. Something that lifts your heart, that, that sort of encourages you to be devoted to God also. Remembering what Christ has done for you is a way for you to recommit yourself to Christ once again. Put on that belt of truth tomorrow as your day begins. Don't leave home without it. Let's pray. Father, we praise and thank you for this time together. We thank you for the teaching of the armor of God. And we thank you for reminding us that whatever else this armament might be or what I might put on, I ought to put on you first. I ought to put on Christ. And remember what you've done uh, for me personally. We praise you and thank you for this time. In Christ's name, amen.